Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a brand new season. Can you believe it? The NFL has finally kicked off. Week one, Darren was absolutely sensational. Vernon Kay and Darren Fletcher in for the season on the Fumble Podcast. And we are excited, Darren. We are. I, I jotted a sentence down to kind of sum up the weekend for me. And I wrote, Brady looked terrible. Lamar Jackson looked even better. The NFC West is the best division in football. The Browns are still the Browns, but the Bengals might not still be the Bengals. And the NFL on week one was magnificent. I thought it was great. And we spoke last week about whether the lack of a crowd would affect the way the game was played. And you said to me, and I spoke to O.C. Manura and Rocky Boyman, two Super Bowl winners, defensive players, on Friday on, on, on the radio. And the three of you were in agreement that if it was going to affect anything, it would affect the way you play defense, right? On the opening weekend of the NFL season, Vernon, 87 offensive touchdowns were scored over the course of all the matches, which is the most ever for week one of an NFL regular season. So you are absolutely right. It's harder to play defense than offense when the crowd isn't there. And if that's the case a league that puts up so many points every week is just going to explode this year until they get the crowd back in. So if you're a fan of offensive football, you're going to love it. If you're a defensive purist, you're going to hate it. But it proves that this certainly in week one, it was easy to play offense than it was to play defense. I thought it was great. Well, there were a couple of refereeing decisions, Darren, as always, which didn't go in my favour. Uh, I just can't get my head around, and I'm sure that some players would like to get their head around, the fact that in the NFL, defensive backs cannot tackle. The receiver is now the new golden boy of the NFL. It used to be the quarterbacks. They've put in protocols to protect the guys who call the shots, but wide receivers are now the men who are just protected, in my opinion, too much. So you wrote your little summarization down of the opening weekend, and it's very similar to mine, which I threw into our fantasy football 
uh, WhatsApp group. The Browns are still the Browns. Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson. Dallas are Dallas. Lamar was the Ravens. Brady was Tebow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, I mean, these are the big takeaways from last week. I mean, before we kind of delve into the, into the, the absolute nuts and bolts of it, we, we've got numbers, my friend. We have, we have mid-season numbers, never mind about week one numbers. So, from, as a viewer and as a fan, not having the crowd in there last, last weekend didn't affect my enjoyment at all. I thought the fact that they'd put the cardboard cutouts in a lot of seats, from a distance, it actually made it look as though people <laughs> were in there anyway. And I, I don't think... We've it, got to get a couple of me and you in one of these stadiums, yeah, Darren. We have, but it didn't affect my enjoyment at all. Did, did it you? I mean, I, I've got to say, it took me a little bit of time to get used to the Premier League in that way. But for an NFL game, it just felt the same. I don't know whether I'm in the minority or not, but I, it didn't really affect it for me. One thing that I noticed and one emotion that I was feeling whilst watching a football game with no crowd is the vulnerability of the quarterback. Mm. I never realised, and I didn't see it until the weekend, that the noise drones out the questions that a quarterback asks of his team. We saw it several times with Brady saying, look, guys, just come on, give me something. Let's go back to practice is one phrase I heard him uh, call out which was insane you know we've done it in practice let's do it here come on let's go and Mitch Trubisky you know we're both Bears fans he just looked like a nervous wreck and you don't get it when there's a crowd there because you don't hear his communication to the rest of the players in the huddle and the self-doubt that pours into a huddle when a team is behind is unbelievable I didn't realize it was that big a thing yeah it, it was huge and I think it's great that we get this insight I mean, when you watch a, a Premier League game, I keep kind of referring back to that. You just hear lots of shouting. But they're so good in the NFL, aren't they? Putting the boom mics in so we can actually hear a little bit more. And when you eliminate that peripheral noise as well, it's a real insight into the, the hearts and minds of the, of the players under the helmets and the pads. I mean, let, let, let's, kind of, let, let's mention Brady then, because I suppose he was the headline going into it. The fact we were going to see him in a, a different uniform for the first time in his NFL career. Are you worried? Is that, is that opening night jitters? Is that something that Bruce Arians and the coaching staff are going to put right? Or have we all jumped the gun here? And maybe it's not going to be this smooth transition from New England to Tampa Bay to the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Maybe there's a, a few more bumps in the road that he's got to navigate before he gets there. Well, one bump in the road that did happen at the weekend was Mike Evans is injured yeah. which is a huge huge blow to the Tampa Bay offence but I think we've had no preseason games let's not forget so Brady would have studied film of the players these, that he's got in his armoury he would know what they're like the way that they run routes I mean if you look in the past Brady and Gronkowski and Julian Edelman they kind of second thought each other. They knew exactly what each one was going to do. And that's not what happened on Sunday with Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's still asking questions of his receivers. He started to ask questions of himself. And you could just see through his face mask, him asking himself, how is this going to end? Not how is it going to start, but yeah. how is it going to end? Because they were not an offense that Tom Brady is used to running. And I think he's got to ask himself lots of questions. I would be... I'm gutted that we don't get an insight. And I hope that Tampa Bay 
are one of the uh, either a hard knocks team or an all or nothing team with Brady there because I would love to have seen Tom Brady's reaction after that week one performance against the Saints in the first meeting with his offensive group. That would be phenomenal. It would, wouldn't it? And, and I, I, I think you really hit a strong point there. It's the first time I think I've ever really seen Tom Brady questioning himself, the situation, and those around him mid-game. We've seen him march up and down the, the sidelines and he's, he's given the pep talk and he's demanding more from his linemen. Or, and we saw the famous speech in the Super Bowl when they were dead and buried in Houston against Atlanta and he managed to drag them back. But I've never seen that look in his eye that was confusion, bewilderment. He wasn't confident about the situation. He was searching for an answer when usually he's got one. And it was a real unique glimpse, I think, at the human side of Tom Brady. The fact that we, we just automatically think that whatever he does, he'll be the best at it. And if he, if he plays for whichever team it is, they're going to be automatic Super Bowl contenders. I thought it just humanized him a lot. And it just showed how big the journey is, is going to be. And we said last week, didn't we, and we both agreed on this, that look, this might be a mid-season thing before this team kicks into gear. That, you know, I, I, I did some predictions with Neil on his, on his podcast last week and I, I said, I like New Orleans on Sunday night, but I like Tampa Bay by the end of the season because I think they'll work through the wrinkles. And I think we saw that, you know, that this is going to be a team that develops and gets better as the season goes on. Right now, they look quite vulnerable, don't they? Yeah, they really do. But I tell you what, Darren, how handsome does Tom Brady look with that Floridian tan? I mean, oh my goodness me. Oh, I had to send Tessa out the room. I'm like, just give me five minutes. He is the Don. I mean, he, he's got that Beckham-esque style going on at the moment in that Floridian tan. It's just illuminated his eyes. <laughs> uh, but that's why you're here. That's why you're listening to uh, uh, The Fumble. We give you an opinion that you wouldn't really expect from other podcasts. But there you go. Uh, Brady on fire. And I think you're right. Come the end of the season, I think they will get better. And I think there will be still uh, edging into the playoffs. Fingers crossed. Now, um, step away from Brady. Is there anything else, Darren? I mean, there's several stories that other people on other podcasts will have picked up on, but is there another major story for you that really illuminated NFL Week 1? Not necessarily kind of a thing that's, that's off the beaten track. It was just that I, I wanted to see what the Baltimore Ravens would look like Week 1. And, I, and I, I was, I don't want to get too technical, but we all marveled last year at the spectacular play of Lamar Jackson. He did loads of things outside the pocket, running around and making things happen with his legs throwing great passes when he was on the move and they moved the pocket a lot and they spread the ball around a lot. I thought I saw on Sunday that he started to transition to be a quarterback that can play in the pocket in a more orthodox way as well. And I think that if he can do that, then what we knew was going to be a really special NFL talent and potentially a special NFL career could even be elevated beyond that because he just looked... He looked unstoppable at the weekend in the first... I know he's playing the Browns, so you've got to put the caveat in that it was the Browns. <laughs> but, but I think he's better this year than last year because I think he, he now has got that ability to play on the move, but he's also got the ability to play in a more orthodox way as well. So I think that makes that offence a lot much more difficult to prepare for because you really don't know what you're going to get. So I was really pleased to see that. I was delighted to see Mahomes able to use all of those weapons with Kansas City. 
And it's week three, isn't it? Monday night, week three, it's the Chiefs against the Ravens. And I just want to fast forward, get through this week, get to that. <laughs> that's, that's the game of all games, isn't it? Week three, Ravens, Chiefs, Mahomes, Lamar, all those weapons, 87-85, and we sit back and say we've never seen anything like it. And we've both got players of each team on our fancy teams as well. So, uh, yeah, bring on the points. There's hey, one thing... I want to mention, Vern, before we move it on as well, I would have caught the touchdown that DeAndre Swift of the Detroit Lions dropped to win the game against our Bears. And I can't work out what is the most stunning thing in that game. The fact that he dropped that ball or the fact that Mitchell Trubisky brought the Bears back from 17 down in the fourth quarter, the beleaguered Mitchell Trubisky. And I'm reliably told, Vernon, that it's only the second time since 1940 that our Chicago Bears have overturned that deficit in the fourth quarter. Since 1940, my friend. Wow. 1940. And he was able to do it. And I can't work out what surprised me the most. Him doing that, or Swift, the rookie, dropping the pass. Because, I mean, it was literally in the breadbasket. If you'd have done that in practice for the Warriors, you never would have been invited back. They would have said, listen, Vern, really enjoyed it, pal. Good luck with the presenting. Stick your gloves, your shoulder pads, your helmet, and that big sack over there, and don't even darken this place again. That, that's what they would have said. And, and I'll be honest with you, Darren. By the time, by the time I got to the changing rooms, <laughs> thank you, Tess. Tess has brought me Domino's cheese, cheesy garlic bread. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Love that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and by the time I got to the dressing room, my undies would have been filled with hot sauce. Uh, it would have been that thank bad. You. Exactly. And quite rightly so, by the way. Yeah. Quite rightly so. A large dollar for it, I might add. Exactly. Now, let me ask you this. Okay. Uh, there's one team that people have been whooping and hollering about because they had a great draft, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mike McCarthy. What does he think in Monday morning? I think he's scratching his head. I, I don't know. And How can a team with so many weapons, yeah. so many weapons, perform so badly? On opening weekend. Well, do you know what? And I want to make a little bit of a, of a similarity here between Dallas and, and Cleveland. Because our mate, Internet Rich, who's in the fancy leagues with us, he's a Browns fan. So, you know, he's a diehard Browns fan. He's not for moving. Defends everything about them. And there's <laughs> been a lot of chatter in the US this week about whether or not they need to trade Odell Beckham. Because he looks like he's, he's creating a problem for the offense. I think if you're Pat Mahomes and you're confident in your own ability, and you've won a league MVP and a Super Bowl MVP, you can stand in that huddle and you can look at Travis Kelsey and say, no, it's not you on this play. I'm going to him. And they won't second-guess you or question you because you're the leader of that team. I saw Dak Prescott the other night trying to please everybody. He wants to throw to Gallup. He wants to throw to Cooper. He wants to get a ball into CD Lamb. He knows that his tight end wants to play, and he knows he's got to give Zeke enough touches to be effective. And you see that with Baker Mayfield. Doesn't know whether he's going to go with Landry or, or Beckham or Huns or Chubb or whatever it is, and Joku or, or Hooper. He's got all these options. But I don't think he's got the presence and the leadership to be able to deal with that. And I think that could be an issue in Dallas unless McCarthy trims it back a bit. You can have sometimes too many weapons if you've not got a quarterback who really doesn't know where he should be going at any given time. So... I think that's the Dak Prescott thing. I think he's got to step up, take ownership of that room. He's got to throw to the guy that he thinks he should throw to and forget about reputation, forget about what might get said in the, in, in the newspaper or, or, or on social media by a pissed-off wide receiver who's not getting the ball. You have to go and make the offense work, and I think that's going to be their big challenge. 
I really like that, Darren. I think that we, we should bank that statement, those few sentences that you've just said there, and we'll, and we'll come back to them at the end of the season because I think that you've hit the nail on the head. I think uh, it, it's all on Dak Prescott's shoulders. How can, you, how can you not win a game or have an effective offence when an off- offence has to be effective and not score points when you've got those players that you just mentioned in your offence? It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So, should we, should we start with your numbers, Darren? Well, we can. I've got, I've got five here. Okay. I'm going to build up to the one I think is the best one, and I think it's one of the best ones I've ever seen. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm going to take a mouthful of cheesy garlic bread before you dive into this, because it sounds like it's going to take a long time to explain. I would. Just to let you know, Matt Sherry's going to join us in a few minutes, by the way, from Gridiron. You all know Matt. He's been on the podcast before. He's written a great book, Any Given Sunday. And we're going to talk to him about it in a few minutes. He sent me and Vern once. The least we can do is, is push the book. And we've got to get Crossy one while he's on because he's not sent Crossy one. So we've got to sort that out. Right. right. So this is a typical fumble number. I had to check how the teams with new uniforms did this week because they're eight of them. Eight of them. So the teams with new uniforms this week. Genius. Four and four, Vern. They did. Right. Four and four. So the Patriots, the Rams, the Chargers, and Washington all won. And the Browns, the Buccaneers, the Falcons, and the Colts all lost. So teams with new unis, four and four on the opening weekend. And you like that's right up your street. That. That's just made the cheesy garlic <laughs> taste that little bit better. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. You'll, you'll like this. You'll like this. The AFC North. So for people who are maybe a little bit newer to the NFL, that's the Baltimore Ravens, the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, the AFC North, is the first division, and it happened on week one, to start three Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks simultaneously. So Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, all started on week one. Wow. Right, and it becomes four if you factor in that Robert Griffin III finished the game at the weekend for Baltimore. So four Heisman winners played in that division, Start in, in three starters and one in mop-up duty on Sunday. Never happened before, which I thought was great. If we're reminding people, the Heisman Trophy is the award that goes to the best college football player in the United States. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, Tom Brady, at 43 yeah. years, 41 days, is the oldest player now to score a touchdown in the NFL, in history. Wow. Scored the little one-yard plunge, didn't he, early in the, the first quarter. Oldest player. He's also, Vernon, this is what he doesn't want, he's the first quarterback to throw two interceptions in three straight games since Matt Schaub and Blaine Gabbert in 2013. Tom Terrific's throwing oh my gosh. in three successive matches. And who's the guy advising Brady when he comes off the field with the iPad and the laptop? Blaine Gabbert. There you go. That's class! Yeah. But this, this, is, this is the piece de resistance. You've enjoyed those. But this is the piece de resistance, right? So, Drew Brees and Tom Brady played against each other this week. Same yeah. to the Buccaneers. Those two individuals have combined to throw in their careers 1,088 touchdown passes. Right? Wow. Which is more than seven franchises. Seven franchises in the NFL haven't thrown 1,088. So in the history of their football teams, they haven't scored that many touchdowns. They've not thrown 1,088. No. 
So wow. they are the Bengals, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Ravens, the Jaguars, and the Texans. So Brady oh. and Breeze combined to throw more touchdown passes, those two, than seven of the 32 NFL franchises. So when you look back and say, just how good were they? Well, that's how good they were. Here she is, Darren. She's brought. She's not been on camera. She brought me a cup of tea, Darren. She's not used to the camera, Vernon. Don't put her anywhere near the camera. Darren said. Darren said she's not used to the camera. Don't put her anywhere near the camera. Listen, we, thank you. Vernon, tell her we can afford you, but we can't afford Tess. When she yeah, yeah. The budget doesn't go that far. She's run off. She did that typical lady thing where they go, oh, don't put me on camera. Don't want a picture. No, no, no. <laughs> if you mention Maybelline or whatever it is, will she come back on? Exactly. Yeah. That's good stats. Good stats from, uh, from yourself, Darren. I like that. Yeah, I can go now. So, <laughs> yes, Don. The most important stat of the week is that we've got our fantasy league. So I'm playing in four this year. I'm playing in two important ones, the Hooters League and our league. Right. right. I played in two more just so I could do a couple of drafts. And I thought, I'll play the leagues anyway, but I want to kind of see where I fall. I went 4 and 0 this weekend. Did you? I you won all four games? Won all four games. And in, in our league, we, I played Jules in our league, and I played Jules in the Hooters League as well and smashed him to bits in both. But I also <laughs> pulled off a big trade this week as well. Yeah, we should talk about this big trade because I can't believe that he, he proposed it. I'll be honest with you. He proposed it and I tweaked it. All right, so talk us through it. Right. So he didn't Because like this, this is the deal of the century, right. in my opinion. So he didn't like his draft. So he, he ended up with Alvin Kamara from the Saints, who he doesn't like. And he wanted to get rid of him. So he knew that I wouldn't just trade Kamara for another running back. So I got Derrick Henry. So he wanted Derrick Henry and he wanted to give up Alvin Kamara. But he knew I wouldn't just do that. So I drafted Keenan Allen, who I don't like, only because I don't like what Tyrod Taylor's going to do. If he's still with Philip Rivers or a decent QB, I love Keenan Allen, but not in the circumstances. So he proposed a trade that I give him Derek Henry and Keenan Allen, and he gives me Alvin Kamara and Marquise Brown. So I went back and I said, well, I don't want Marquise Brown. I'll have AJ Brown, who he's got as well, from the Titans. He said, well, I don't want to do that. So I said, okay, we're at a bit of an impasse. Now, in the draft, I wanted Lamar Jackson, and he took him just before me. So I ended up taking Patrick Mahomes. So I said, well, flip the quarterbacks as well then. So I'll give you Patrick Mahomes, Derek Henry, and Keenan Allen, and you give me Lamar Jackson, Alvin Kamara, and Marquise Brown. So he said, yes. Alvin Kamara, two touchdowns. Lamar Jackson, unplayable. 101 yards from Marquise Brown. Internet rich, in the weeds already. What are you doing? Never trade with a big man on the opening weekend of the season. Learn your lesson, everybody. We're in, we're in, we're there. We've got, we've got a great team. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely couldn't believe it. I mean, Lamar Jackson scores in the air and with his, with his legs. I mean, come on. He's a points machine. Yeah. You won this weekend, haven't you, as well? Yeah, I did. I, I beat our lovely executive producer, Mr. Simon Cross, by, well, I, I was relying on Connor running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers and I needed, I think it was 1.5 points to Ooh. take victory on Tuesday night. Connor, before he got injured, got me 1.7 points. He knew. He'd, he'd been on, he'd logged into the SPM page, he'd seen where you were. 
Yeah. He dragged himself. <laughs> Wounded. He was injured before, but he thought, if I can get to 1.7, I can sit down. I've got to help the big man out. I've got to do it. So he got there for you. Matt Sherry's here, everyone. Hi, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're very good, Matt. How, how was life? Your fantasy opening weekend, how was it? Uh, won. Absolutely smashed it. Most points in my whole league by 50 Brilliant. points. It was, a, it was a monster week. Well, let's go through the, the key positions. Who's your quarterback? Um, Cam Newton this week. I've got Cam and, Cam and Tom Brady. I've got my old flame and my new flame. So Right. Running backs? Um, Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs and Dalvin Cook. Was anybody nice. else drafted? Was there anybody else drafted? <laughs> it's, the thing is, it's, it's a keeper league. So I've kind of, I've kind of got them over the last couple of years and, and it, you can keep four players a year. So I kept those three. I think we're in the grown-up league here. For, you can't yeah. Hey, a keeper league? A keeper league? What the hell is a keeper you, league? You get rewarded for good picks in years past. You get the, you get the lockdown like three or four of your roster. It's actually funny that Matt mentions being the highest scorer in his league. Because I think that makes two of us on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah, man. all right, all right. Easy, <laughs> easy, easy, easy. You get the little balloons that go off next to your score, you know it's you. I thought it was my birthday, then I realised they got the best score. I, uh, <laughs> I find it hard to believe that you forgot. We're going to talk about your book, but we've got a slight issue before we get there. I've got one. Vernon's got one. Cross you hadn't. Well, you just took the words right out of my mouth there. <laughs> I'll have to get him a copy. You have to blame, blame David Tossel at NFL UK. I kind of asked him to send me a list of everybody he thought should have one. And yeah, I, I think Crossy he probably thought have. that Crossy would just steal one from the NFL office. So yeah, <laughs> probably. It'll probably be on the shelf behind the OC and Jason podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I sent Orsi and Jason one. I wasn't, you know, wasn't organised enough. So tell us about the book then. So it's called Any Given Sunday, the NFL's epic 100-year history in 20 games. And it's great because you just basically go through the games that you think have set the table for what ultimately developed in the league. So I'm a Bears fan, so I'm thinking about the 85 season. Where will you have gone? And you picked out the NFC Championship game against the 49ers the season before, which set the table for that team to come back really motivated, kick on from there. The guy McIntyre carrying the ball and the refrigerator getting the chance the following year. So it's fascinating. It's a great way, I think, for a, a really um, thorough NFL fan just to reminisce and enjoy and learn more about those games. I also think it's a fantastic way, if you're thinking about getting into the sport, to really learn about it in a really entertaining way and take on board some of the information and, and kind of, you know, understand what you need to be looking for, etc. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so I was asked to write a book that was a little bit more of a kind of indexed history of the NFL. And I, I, I've always, I mean, I'll be honest, wanting to write a book is, is, is basically something I've wanted to do since I was a kid. So I knew if I was going to do it, it had to be something that I was invested in myself. And... I kind of thought about that and thought, I'm not really that interested in doing that. And I was in America at the time, actually, and Simon Clancy, who you guys will know from his time at the BBC, but has done a lot of stuff for Gridiron over the years, bought me a book that was similar. It was a history of college football, and it was done through games. And I thought, that, that is something I could really get excited about. So instead of doing the book I agree, I was asked to do, I kind of got a book agent and pitched this idea and, 
and started putting it together. And, and I just think it's a much more accessible way in. I mean, obviously, to tell the story of 100 years is a, is a long story to tell. So I kind of wanted to, to take it in many different directions. And I like to think that, you know, the culmination, and once you bring all of those 20 chapters together, gives you the full history, but it does it in a way that's a little bit more interesting than just this happened in 1920 and then this in 1930, et cetera, et cetera. Matt, just explain to us uh, what algorithm you use to define what is a great NFL game because we've had games that have been fantastic for certain teams, not for others. We've had games at real pivotal social moments in society and American history and we've had games that really define the NFL as a whole. So what did you use that, that, that really got a game in the book? Yeah, I mean, it's significant. It certainly isn't the 20 greatest games of all time. You know, there are some that just have to be in there, like the Immaculate Reception, the Catch, you know, those, those, those types of games have, um, have a significance that means they have to be in there. But, you know, the, it, it's all about the significance. So, for example, the, the second game in the book is, is a game where Red Grange, who was the first star to come into pro football, played. Um, and what that did is, one, it meant that the Maras still own the, Gi- still own the Giants today, which is a remarkable story in and of itself. But also it showed that pro football itself could become popular and therefore allowed the NFL to grow from where it was in year five at that stage. The next game is a game that they were, they were basically forced to play a championship game ad hoc. Um, they never used to have a championship game. They used to just have a meeting and decide who won at the end of the year. But... The two teams tied, so they had a championship game. They scheduled it for Wrigley Field in Chicago. It snowed all week. They had to take it indoors. And taking it indoors meant they had to change all the rules for one game. But actually, those rules worked and made the, and, and kind of solved some problems for the league. So this game ends up creating a load of rule changes. It creates a championship game every single year thereafter and therefore is significant. But it really varies. I mean, you know, I'm not going to go through them all, but the, the next game is one in which there's a whole schematic evolution on the back of it, and it essentially creates the modern-day quarterback. So for me, it's, it's all about significance, you know. And, and I've tried to mix it up as well. I mean, you mentioned the, 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 the Bears example. You know, you, you could pick a Super Bowl every single time but I've tried to I've tried to really mix it up wherever possible I would say there's a couple of games I'm disappointed and not included but wouldn't have worked from the structure of trying to tell the whole story I mean the first London game isn't in there which is you know for a British book not an ideal scenario but ultimately I think we would all agree that if you're picking a game from that season it has to be the Giants beating the Patriots in in one of the greatest sporting upsets in history. So I've kind of weaved in the London game into that chapter of the book. So, yeah, I like to think that it's, it's the 20 most significant. And the storylines flow from that, you know. There's, the, the interesting one is, to give an example of how the book goes in different directions, try and start every chapter with the game, and in most cases end it with the game, unless... There's a couple that throw it forward very nicely to the next chapter. The second chapter about the... Sorry, the third chapter about the first ever championship game. The game is between the Chicago Bears and the Portsmouth Spartans, who became the Detroit Lions, just so people know who they are. That chapter is largely about the Green Bay Packers because (laughs) the, the, the three titles before that one, the Packers won. So that game crowned a new champion. 
and it just shows how it goes in different directions, you know. And, and I think that's the way I wanted to do it. I almost see that the, the chapters as as self-contained individual stories. Some people will get to the second half of the book and think, "Wow, he really hasn't addressed race in the NFL in this book in the way that he should have." And they'll get to a chapter that is Doug Williams becoming the first black quarterback to win the Super Bowl and say that actually I've done a whole chapter kind of dedicated to that. So, so yeah, I would say it, it goes in many directions, but I think taken as a whole, it gives you the full history that you'd need. There were people there, Vern, listening to the podcast, travelling to work. When he mentioned the Portsmouth Spartans, they were thinking, I wonder if Harry Redknapp was managing them back. <laughs> <laughs> in their minds. You know, I mean, you're, you're an absolute, you, you, you live and breathe the sport. You know, you've got a, a tremendous knowledge of it and you've got a real desire to learn more and more. What was the most interesting thing that you learned in the journey to put the book together that really kind of blew you away when you thought, I thought I knew my stuff, but I didn't know that. That's brilliant. I mean, just how shambolic it was. I mean, it was an absolutely ludicrous operation at the start. It was, I mean, so if this, if this is our Thursday, which I think it is, which is publication day, today is the 100th anniversary of the NFL being founded. It was founded in a car dealership in Ohio. The people at the meeting sat on the boards of a car called a Huntmobile and just decided to set it up. And the interesting part, I think the interesting story from that is not just how shambolic it is, but that George Hallis, who would become the absolute face of the NFL as a coach, as an owner of the Bears, was at that meeting. Like, that, that's incredible, isn't it? But mm. yeah, just how, just how ludicrous it was for the first. And, and the thing is, that was for a while as well. It was still fairly shambolic in, in, 90, in the 40s. You know, it was 20 years of of being about to fold and somehow staying alive. And then, and then it becomes what it becomes, kind of late 50s, early 60s. It's this incredible sports league that becomes the biggest in the world. But yeah, I mean, to say it had humble beginnings is the ultimate understatement. Like, it's astonishing that it got to the point that it did. Am I right or wrong here? Wasn't the Football League set up in a pub? The FA, the Football Association? I bet it's similar. All great ideas happening there. I think the initial idea was came from a pub in Bolton called The Volunteer. And I think it's got a blue plaque. I'm not sure. But that's the old urban myth that travels around many a youngster before they walk down the, uh, down the Manchester way to Burnden Park. So all, all great things come from small seeds, shall we say. Or yeah, a couple of dirty pints. <laughs> do, you, do you not think it's like interesting how nobody... Yeah, you mentioned a blue plaque there. I went to the site of the first ever NFL game. It's, it's a derelict park in the middle of Ohio where there's a single plaque that says the first ever game of the National Football League was played here. And it's like, how is, how is more not made of this? You know, this is, this is the starting point to the biggest sports league in the world. And I'm in a park where I've seen literally nobody except for one park ranger, and it's in the book, this, who, uh, who told me that like a mile away was where um, the Wright brothers first experimented with flying machines. They were from Dayton, Ohio as well. So it's like you go to these far-flung places in the middle of the Midwest and find all that history. That was Little things like that were, were amazing throughout, to be honest. Simon and I did a documentary on the Green Bay Packers and we went to their first ever field, which is, yeah. which is still there now. And that, again, you know, you think Green Bay Packers, not a lot happening in, in the city anyway, or the town, whatever you call it. And... There it is. It's, and you, you try to work out where the where the people would have been, and it is just this 
just this kind of open space. Award-winning documentary. Oh, very nice. I'll see he pops in for the important that. You notice that I did most of the work and he's got the award. You see that there? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even have a photograph of the award. <laughs> not even a picture. The, the Packers are the most remarkable story of all in the NFL. Like, I mean, I would, I would urge, that's been, I've been twice now to Green Bay and... Yeah, that's one of the ones that I really wanted to get right in the book because it's just, I mean, they're like a microcosm of the NFL because I say it was amazing the NFL survived as long as it did. Green Bay, I mean, their strife went on long into the, the 50s and early 60s where they were close to financial ruin yet have still remained and got this unique ownership model in American sports. So, yeah, there's just so many amazing stories. I could, I could talk about it all day, but people can read the book and... And, yeah, and so I, would, I, I would urge people to do it. Any given Sunday, the NFL's epic 100-year history in 20 games. On the back cover, there's a great shot, essentially Tom Brady tossing the ball to Red Grange, which is great. It's kind of something up from, from the start to where we are now. A couple of killer questions that I've got to ask you before, you before we lose you. Number one, as a Patriot fan and a lover of all things Tom Brady, did you laugh or cry when you saw him at the weekend? A, in a Tampa Bay uniform, but then... Getting his ass kicked in the manner that he did by the Saints. Did you? I mean, it, I, I would describe it as as mixed emotions. I ultimately want to see him do well, but what I think would have been interesting to him is he grew so tired, obviously, of New England and Belichick and the way that he runs it. And I wonder whether there was a point in that game, and I would identify the point specifically as as when they jumped off sides on four and two, fourth and two. I wonder if there's a point in that game where he thought. God, that's why he's such an asshole all the time about all these things. Because it stops players doing stupid stuff like that. And, you know, I think that'll be the biggest rude awakening that he'll get more than anything is just how unreliable it is in other teams for the, with, like, the rest of his teammates. And, I, you know, he didn't play well by any stretch of the imagination. He had the teething problems that I probably expected him to have. I wonder whether he'll quickly realise the grass isn't always greener because of issues like that more than anything because that will he's only ever known the Bill Belichick way where teams don't make those mistakes mm. and that will frustrate the life out of them and an even more important question than that which is the kind of question Vern that we would ask on the fumble how much will it hurt you Matt when you walk past bargain books and it's got the 399 sticker on it because oh, trust really? me, Matt, trust me from experience, when you've got a Family Fortunes interactive DVD and you see it in the bargain bin at the works where kids get all the pencils and pencil cases from, you think, do you know what? It's kind of come to an end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a few things that'll break me heart. When I read the first negative review, it'll kill me. And, and when some person and there's a person in British UK NFL media who is guaranteed to be the first person to do this when some person emails me with a mistake in it I'll that'll be that upset <laughs> I'll let you guess who that person is but it's very obvious I know I'm just waiting my heart's gonna drop soon as I see an email from this person that's a classic. And I have to say, you shouldn't get any negativity because it's been superbly researched. It's brilliantly written. I would advise anybody, whether you're a passing NFL fan, just getting into the sport, or you've been following it as long as myself and Vernon and you have and Simon has as well, I'd read it and enjoy it. It's great. I know it's a bit of a labour of love for you. And it's, it's fantastic, mate. So well done on it. Uh, thanks, thanks for talking to us about it today. And I hope it goes wonderfully well for you because you deserve it. 
Yeah, cheers, Matt. Crossy, I'll send you well, a... Hang on, Matt. We can't let Matt leave without asking him the question that every interviewer would ask a man who's written a book about the 20 greatest games. Matt, in your love and passion for the NFL, like ours, is there one game that isn't in the book that has a big effect or had a big impact on your love for NFL? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first game I remember watching was the uh, one-yard short Super Bowl. Um, you know, the Kevin Dyson play, which is mentioned in the book, obviously, uh, but it isn't one of the 20 games. So, yeah, that would be the one to me. The Titans where, and Rams. Yeah, absolutely. That Super Bowl, that was my entry point into NFL. So, it was disappointing not to get that in there. Although I did speak to both the guy, Mike Jones, who made the tackle and Kevin Dyson, just for a very small section of that in the book. But, um, yeah, that would be the one that isn't in there, that definitely had an impact on me. Imagine not getting a ball one yard oh. from the end zone. One I yard. Mean, that's, that's the game that sums up the NFL. Because Imagine being a Buffalo Bills kicker. <laughs> Wide right is the only thing that people refer to you about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Better to be remembered for wide right than, than four in a row lost, which is yeah, just... Well, yeah, there you go. That and, and Don Beebe's helmet upon a helmet. You see, you're a whole kind of words. When you say you're better to be wide right than remember for four, you've got to get there four times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they've been there. It's, this old, it's the old argument, isn't it? Do you like Montana or Brady? The fact that Montana got there and never lost in a Super Bowl and Brady's been there more and one more, but he's lost them as well. There's, there's so many different layers. It's why you've yeah, we got you on. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, the other element with that is, like, I, I spoke to Bill Paulian for an hour and 45 minutes, like, for the, for the book, interviewed him. And he was still choked up thinking about the, the, the Buffalo situation. Like, and, and, like, it's funny because, obviously, as a Patriots fan, I was never a fan of the Colts as a kid and Paulian and Tony Dungy, but they were arguably the two nicest people I interviewed for the book. So I kind of flipped my childhood on its head of hating the Colts. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to remember that team for the greatness as well of getting there four times. I mean, it's 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 never been done again, and it won't be done. It won't be done at any point. I don't think. No. Anyway, let's try and end on a high. Good luck with the book, Matt. Uh, absolute belter. Yeah, nice. We'll see you on the circuit, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, good luck with it. Yeah, cheers, lads. Thank you, pal. Ta-ra. Oh, what a chore, putting, a, putting a, a book together, but also interviewing all those people that have had such an impact and an influence on those great games in the NFL. You know, it's funny that he, he spoke there about people that might, might criticise the content and suggest that he didn't do enough to talk about the racial issue within the NFL, and then he devotes a chapter to Doug Williams. I remember that Simon and I were in New Orleans for a Super Bowl, and, and we sat down with Doug for about an hour. Simon can, can hear this and may, may come in during the podcast as well. And I was really surprised back then, and I think the narrative would be different now, that Doug actually tried to distance himself from all of that. It was a fascinating sit-down with him. And I, I said to him, you know, how did you feel when the reporter said to you, you know, what does it, how long have you been a black quarterback? I mean, you know, heaven only knows where you, you, you asked that question from. And Doug, in actual fact, and it, it's... it's it's to his eternal credit. And if you've ever spent any time around Doug Williams, that, you wouldn't expect anything less. But he actually worked hard for the rest of the interview to try and almost defend that situation. And it, 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 it's a situation now that's obviously thrust back into the, 
the public eye, quite rightly so, for obvious reasons. But it was fascinating sitting down with him. And this was this would have been the Super Bowl when the lights went out, you know, when the Ravens held on against the 49ers. So yeah. that's how far we're going back. Not too long, but not, not kind of last week. But it was, it was really interesting to see that even then, Doug was still wanting to try and maintain that integrity for everybody involved in that story. And I, I'm fascinated to read that chapter because there'll be a lot more in there than, than I know and, and other people know, but it was a fascinating opportunity to sit down with him, who is and was and will be a genuine NFL pioneer for, for obvious reasons. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, 100%. The thing that, I mean, the thing that confuses me is the NFL is a much-loved sports league. And in the United States of America, it's massive. You know, the ratings on TV are so influential with the money that they bring in from advertisers, its commercial value, et cetera, et cetera. And it was disappointing to see the booing at the show of unity at the beginning of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans game. What I don't understand is, how can you be a fan of a sport that is played predominantly by black young men when you have those opinions of racism. I don't get it. And another thing I don't understand, and it's the same with English football fans, have a bad reputation for being racist. But yet our England squad now is made up of predominantly young black males. So what are the conflicting thoughts going through their heads? I just don't understand how you can have those outdated, old school, nasty opinions, Darren. I thought, well, well I, I spoke to, um, to Osi about this on, on Friday, and I think you can, you can get a hold of what he said via BBC Sounds. And we, we did half an hour to preview the NFL season. And Osi's view, because I asked him about that, and I asked him about the show of unity that we saw at the beginning of the, of the camp. We, we talked, it was Friday, so we'd only seen the Chiefs against yeah. the at this point. So I talked about the players linking arms and the show of unity and, 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 and the, the, the implication of that and the impact that that would have. Osi was, was pretty adamant, very strong on the fact that he, he, he feels that that's pretty unnecessary, that he would like to see individuals take much more, um, be, be much more proactive themselves and create situations where people can be helped. So, for instance, he cited Marcus Rashford with the school meals here in the UK. And he talked about, you know, an NFL player who pledged money to improve the school system so that people could go to the same school. And he was... He was hoping that over the course of the season that that situation became a, a lot more prevalent than just a show of unity on a Sunday, that he wanted to see people in a position of power, NFL athletes, NFL franchises, do a lot more to be proactive to solve the problem rather than just remind people of it on a Sunday. And he spoke very passionately about it. And he spoke very eloquently about it. And what the points that he made made a hell of a lot of sense. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Darren, let's slide swiftly into week two before we say goodbye. Uh, there's some great games. I mean, Panthers, Buccaneers, both 0-1. That's a huge game. Jags, Titans, that's another classic. But uh, I mean classic as in it'll be interesting to see what happens in that game with the, Jack- the Jacksonville Jaguars and... Uh, Mr. Mustache, I'm not going to call him by his real name because the Jaguars are selling a franchise on a bloke with some ridiculous handlebar mustache. But anyway, hey ho, there you go. Uh, Darryl, what... Well, I've just done that. You know, before you carry on, before you ask me about the, the games this week, that's a great point. They are selling the franchise on the back of a fella wearing a bandana with a handlebar mustache who last week completed 19 of 20 passes, which has to be the greatest throwing day in terms of percentage <laughs> that we've ever seen in the NFL. And you, it's definitely the best that Jacksonville's ever seen. Right, but he, he's not going to do it every week. But let's no. say that he maintains his level. Do they then still draft the quarterback? Because everybody says they're going to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or whatever it is at the end of the year. Gardner Minshew, if he carries on playing like that, surely they've got to consider him being the franchise quarterback moving forward. Because he was hardly a disaster last year either, was he? You know, I mean, he's. he's He's shown that he's capable of starting in the NFL. If he takes that second season spike and goes again, would that potentially change the future for the Jags? It's in Gardner's hands. It's it really Gardner's is. Hands. It really is. It's in the garden, as they say. Everything the Gardner is wrong. So games I want to watch, obviously this weekend, I want to watch the Giants and the Bears because the Bears are going on 2-0. and 2-0. and Bears win, Giants stink. Start the march towards Tampa Bay. They're going to be the most unlikely Super Bowl winner that any of us have ever seen. <laughs> the, one, the, one is, the one that I really am looking forward to because of the implications of it. The Vikings against the Colts. The Vikings got blown out by the Packers. The Colts lost the heartbreaker against the Jacksonville Jaguars who we thought were tanking. One of those teams is going to start 0-2 because it's unlikely to be a tie. So one of the teams is going to start 0-2. It's a long way back from 0-2 in the NFL. I think when you start 0-1, you've only got a 24% chance to make the playoffs. So do the maths. If you, if you go 0-2, it's even shorter than that. So one of those teams, you know, certainly from a Minnesota standpoint, who I thought would be really good in the NFC this season, they start 0-2. You know, that's a, that, that's a potentially season-defining loss, even at this early stage. So that's the one that I'm going for. I've got big interest in that. What about you? Well, there's a couple that jump off the page for me, Darren. Falcons at the Cowboys, both on one. Falcons, obviously, they brought in Todd Gurley. They've got the best athletes in the NFL. Uh, the best wide receiver were, without doubt, Julio Jones. Uh, and the Dallas Cowboys, we talked about them earlier on, loaded with superstars, but just can't get it together. Mike McCarthy, the pressure is on already. But then you go down to the 9:25 game on Sky Sports NFL. It's the Ravens at the Texans. Two great quarterbacks, two great offences. Can the Texans get off the mark without being 0-2 and beat the Baltimore Ravens, who, you know, I think you put them forward as your Super Bowl uh, bet, which is going to be a tough, tough game for the Texans, but one to watch. I would like to say this as well before we finish. That is that this is a league that is full of amazing people, whether they be athletes, whether they be campaigners for social justice, whether they be leaders in their own community, whatever they are. This is a league that throws up wonderful stories about the individuals that are in there. I'm a Bears fan, you're a Bears fan. We love 
the 85 team that won the Super Bowl. And there was a, a reserve linebacker, second team linebacker on that squad called Ron Rivera, who has been a great coach, defensive coordinator to start with, head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and now the head coach of the Washington football team. And at the moment, he's battling cancer. And he's decided to keep doing the job that he's doing. He's still leading the team, even while he undergoes treatment to try and rid himself of that awful disease. And at halftime last week, Ron Rivera went on a drip because that was the only way that he could get through the second half. So Dwayne Haskins, his quarterback, stood up in the locker room and spoke for the offense. Other coaches rallied round while the head coach was receiving treatment to make sure that he got the strength to get through the second half. And his team were behind against Philadelphia and his team rose in those circumstances, inspired, I'm sure, by an extremely strong man in Ron Rivera. They went on to cause probably the upset of the weekend by beating Philly. And when you put it into perspective with the circumstances they did it in, I admired that individual greatly to start with. And I've been in his company on a couple of occasions when he's been in London. But for him to do that, that if, if he's your leader in your locker room, you are never giving less than 100 <laughs> There's no room for excuses in there, I'm telling oh, you. No. You give your lot or you get out because your head coach is giving more than anybody else. Yeah. Darren, as, as we say in the UK, he is the man that I would want to lead me over the top. 100%. What a dude. And we wish him all the best, obviously. Uh, and, of course, the Washington football team. Darren, Simon, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've had my starter, my cheesy garlic bread. Uh, Tess is waving at me frantically through the patio doors that dinner is served. So we will we'll leave it there, shall we? We shall. It's been great. We had a real full one this week. Thanks to Matt for coming on. We're, we're, we're right into it now. We're, we're, we're off and running. We, we, we are now flying. So I'm already excited about next week's Good luck this weekend with your fantasy. So, fantasy, you know, not, not, not that fantasy. <laughs> Good luck with that this week. That's two weeks in a row, Darren, that you brought a killer innuendo into the fumble. <laughs> Yeah, good luck everyone who's listening with your fantasy, whatever it may be, Everybody. you know, but keep, keep it to yourself. As long as it's legal and safe, we don't care. We're, we're, we welcome everyone. Uh, but this has been a Shooting Shark production. We will see you next time. And good luck with your fantasy football team this weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.